This is Brandon M. Crooker, and you're listening to the Apostolic Theory Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. We've got uh, Pastor Ed Snyder. Um, He's an author. He wrote a book uh, that I recently purchased called Control the Beast. A guide to Managing Your Emotions. It's a tremendous resource, um, and I highly recommend that uh, if you have not read it, um, that you look it up and you get yourself a copy. Um, it'll be a tremendous blessing to you, your family, your church, your ministry, uh, all of the above. Um, so, uh, Pastor Snyder, why don't you just uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, where you pastor, uh, maybe what led up to where you are now, and uh, we'll just go from there. All right. Thank you, Brother uh, Crooker. We're, we're honored to be with you here on Apostolic uh, Theory. It's just a great. I've listened to your podcast. Great podcast. And uh, you've had quite quite the guest, uh, Robin Johnson and a lot of them. So uh, I am I am honored to be among the greats. So uh, anyway, but a little bit about me. Uh, of course, as you mentioned, I pastor and I we actually, well, let me back up. I'm a fifth generation Pentecostal apostolic on my mother's side. I'm actually second generation on my dad's side. My mother won my father to the Lord. And then, of course, they started dating and, and uh, got married and lived uh, married 60, 60 something years before they passed. And so um, that's, a, that's a great heritage that I value very deeply. And uh, I was uh, 12 years old when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, got called into the ministry when I was 13 years old. And of course, you know how teenagers are, they get stuck on stupid and and do dumb things. And so finally, I got my act together. Uh, When I was 17, uh, met my wife and got married when I was 18. And we have been married now for 40 years, have two adult children. Uh, Our daughter is married and doing well. Our son is getting ready to get married in February, and so, uh, you know, life is good. Uh, We pastor in a suburb of Dallas uh, called Irving, Texas, and uh, I mean, literally right next door to to the city of Dallas, so I just tell everybody Dallas because not too many know about Irving. So anyway, this is our, actually our fourth uh, church that we have pastored over our years of ministry. Uh, we replanted, in fact, we replanted three churches. Our very first church was a small church and, and we grew it. So basically our ministry is, is uh, uh, let's see, what is it, six or so years of full-time as, as an evangelist. Uh, I was Brother Kenneth Haney's executive associate pastor for six years until he fooled around and got himself elected our general superintendent. So we planted a, a new church in St. Louis, where I am from, and um, then uh, I, I uh, worked with headquarters there, the United Pentecostal Church International headquarters, uh, in planting churches called One Grand Vision uh, for several years. And then when Brother Bernard became our superintendent, of course, new, new superintendent, new vision, new burden or passions and stuff, uh, global impact that I was working with went away. And... Um, we just finished replanting a church in Danville and a friend of mine in San Jose, California, Pastor Rodney Nielsen was just elected pastor of his father's church, needed some help. Brother Haney talked to him, uh, recommended that he gives me a call. We went there for about three and a half years and created an, a culture of evangelism, uh, 
you know, uh, again, executive associate pastor type situation. And so we created it, cre- built a lot of outreach programs, trained the church in uh, a lifestyle evangelism mindset. And uh, then from there, God led us to Irving and God and I had a very long conversation God, this has got to be the last hoorah, <laughs> you know, moving across the country as much as we have and been involved. We're so thankful for the experiences, but Lord of mercy. One move was literally, we live 20 minutes from the Atlantic Ocean and we moved to San Jose, which is about 30 minutes from the Pacific Ocean. So, uh, you know, our age, which we're not old, but, you know, our kids are growing and, and eventually going to establish their own families, which they are doing. And so Dallas is the the final hoorah, and we'll either go up in the rapture or go in the ground here in Dallas. <laughs> wow. Yep, that's, that's a little bit about Ed Snyder. All right. Well, uh, praise God. I uh, So in, in reading this book, which this tremendous resource, the control of the beast. Um, <clears throat> there's uh, obviously a lot of a lot of practical content, um, but today, uh, why don't we just talk about um, vital relationships in um, helping us to maintain. Uh, I guess, really uh, a good emotional environment. Sure, sure. Okay, so uh, maintaining a good evo- emotional environment, that, uh, Brother Crooker, is a mouthful. You know, when you say, what do I do? I need to do to maintain a, a good emotional, emotional environment? That's a lot. And I'm going to kind of refer back to my my uh, story and then and then go into the book and, and what we talk about. Um you know, maintaining emotional, st- uh, strong relationships, granted, is a lot of work. You know, back in the day, uh, I, I was a very angry teenager and young adult. And not not proud to say, I actually ashamed to say, I have put my fist through more walls, windows, and doors than I care to think about. And of course, at school, you know, I was the, I was the target of bullying because I'm, I'm a big guy. And uh, back then, I was the the fat little kid that was quiet and timid and and, uh, was made fun of a lot and all of that. And so that's part of what built the anger uh, that was within me. And so Mm -hmm. I got in a couple of fights, knocked a couple of teeth out, and broke a couple of noses along the way. And it wasn't until Gail and I got married that in my uncontrolled anger, and throughout the book, we talk about that, you know, you're never going to get rid of anger or negative emotions. They're a part of your makeup, just like love and happiness and joy. It's there. So when people think, I got to get rid of my anger, not going to happen. You have to, to maintain solid emotional, uh, emotional environment is to learn how to manage those emotions. Everybody gets mad. Everybody gets mad, gets upset. It depends on what you do with the anger that makes all the difference in the world. I mean, the Bible says, be angry, but sin not. Right. And let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So, therefore, God gives us the, the uh, how, do, how should I say it? the opportunity? No, not the opportunity, but the, the chance to get mad 
I mean, he himself became angry when he walked mm. in and found the money changers in the temple. He turned over tables. He drove out the, but it was anger in a good way. He was cleaning the temple of, of filthiness and my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's the purpose, not to, to buy and sell. So he became angry, but he didn't sin. He did something in a positive motion. And in the book of Control the Beast, we talk about how we can redesign negative emotions and push them to a powerful outcome. Okay. Right. So we don't, we don't not only manage our emotions, we learn how to reverse the, 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 the motion of it or the direction of it and go in a positive way. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Of course, going back, you know, there, in my uncontrolled anger, there were two things you did not do to me. You hung up the phone or slammed the door in my face. Uh, the, 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 un, unfortunately, when somebody slammed the door or uh, hung up the phone on me, that was back in, uh, I don't know how old you are, but back <laughs> in the day, we had these, these things called landlines and they yeah. plugged into the wall, you know, and you had to push the buttons on the, on a, on a phone. And <laughs> so, and you couldn't walk around. You had to stay there by the phone. <laughs> My son like walks the house when he's talking on his phone. <laughs> Anyway, just a little tease there. Um, so the phone came ripping off the wall or out of the wall because somebody hung up on me. Uh, in our first marital discussion, quote unquote, <laughs> uh, Gail, who is Irish and I'm of a German descent, so God's got a really good sense of humor putting a hard-headed <laughs> German and a hot-headed Irish woman together. <laughs> so... Anyway, so, you know, that try the spirits and see that they are of oh, God yeah, yeah. is really alive in our <laughs> <Come> lives. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. So, uh, so anyway, she she not only slammed the door in my face, she locked the door, and uh, I mean, I just went into in into outer space. So I put it was a hollow corridor. So I put my fist through the door, unlocked the door. Now, for your listeners' sake and for your sake, I have. Never, zero, ever laid a hand on my wife, ever. Wouldn't do that. Uh, the, you know, it, my father taught me better than that. So anyway, I went in and we finished that quote unquote marital discussion. Well, in an uncontrolled anger mind, person's mind, you know, the next day that's water under the bridge, that's over, it's done, you know, let's move on. Well, she couldn't move on. You know, she's, she was scared out of her mind seeing my fist come through that door. And of course, the anger on my face and, and all of that. So she at breakfast said, I don't think I can do this. I'm like, do what? What are you talking about? Last night, you put your fist through that door, you know? And so I promised her then, because my wife is the love of my life. She was my first love. The day I met her, I knew that's it. That's her. It's over. That's the girl I'm going to marry. And um, so I didn't want to lose her. Now, Brother uh, Crooker, this is 40 years ago. Anger management classes, not even in the universe. Barely any material written about anger or negative emotions or emotional intelligence. That term was not even heard of back then. So really, I, I went to my pastor and I said, hey, uh, man, I, I got something here I need help with. And he's like, what's that? I said, I, I'm angry. I'm, I'm really angry and I need to get over it. And so his advice, and again, 
let me preface what I'm about to say. I strongly believe in the power of prayer and prayer does change things. Okay. His advice is, well, son, go, go get a praying through and you'll be fine. So I went and got a good praying through and got up and a day or two later, I'm mad again. Something was missing. And of course the Bible says faith without works is dead. Mm. And I had the faith, but I was missing the works. What do I do to fix my problem? And so Gail and I started on a journey of fixing or managing my negative emotions. So it was a lot of trial and error, a lot of prayer, you know, a lot of study of the word. We began to dive into the Bible about this subject. And uh, then, of course, when the material started appearing on bookshelves, man, I scarfed it up. I, I read everything, get my hands on, I learned. And then later in life, I, I, uh, I decided I need to give back now that I've got my negative emotions under control and managed. Now it's time for me to reach back and help those coming up behind me. So I got certified and started teaching. So the last 20 years I have taught for probation and parole court services, uh, chambers of commerces have brought me in for lunch and learns, uh, companies like Goodyear tire rubber companies contracted me to work with, uh, staff plant workers, on helping them with their negative emotions and how to manage it. So that's kind of where we are today. And that's what Control the Beast is all about. And I really appreciate your kind words of practical stuff. And that's what Control the Beast is about. It's really a how-to manual with practical things that anybody and everybody can do to get negative emotions. So let's... Uh, Brother Kirk, if you don't have any questions right now, but let's dive into vital relationships. How about that? I like it. Let's do it. Okay, so in the book, we talk about it takes a team to control the beast. There is a beast that rages inside of us every day. And if we don't control that beast, it's going to get out of control, cause us problems. We lose, we lose opportunities. We lose jobs. We lose our relationship with God, and we lose relationships with those around us. Uh, when somebody engages in an uncontrolled episode of negative emotions, what happens is we break trust. Uh, people that trust us with their, their feelings, in other words, our friends, um, our coworkers, we embarrass ourselves, don't even realize we're doing it, and we automatically build a wall or a divide between those and our friends, our coworkers and such, because they thought of us better than that. And now we've exposed the beast. Okay. So you, you know, I'm sure you've heard the saying team, uh, teamwork makes the dream work. Yeah. And, and that that's very true. We have to think about our family and those that are closest to us as our team. You know, they're, they're there to help us, support us. Relationships are a two-way road, not a one-way street. You know, it, it's not all what we can get out of a relationship. It's but what we can give back to that relationship. It's a yeah. two-way street. So we get strength. We get encouragement. We get prayer. We get good things said to us, advice, whatever. And it is our responsibility to give back to those in the same manner. So teamwork makes the dream work in what we accomplish. Uh, Gail and I, you know, we're 
my my wife is a pastor's daughter. Uh, of course, my father-in-law's passed long ago, but she grew up in a preacher's home, uh, a pastor's daughter. I my dad was a, a truck tireman, and my mother was a nurse. There are no preachers in my family, so I was not in that environment. <laughs> my father's advice when I came to him and says, "Dad, I I feel like God's called me to preach." He says, "Son, that's great. I'm I'm proud of you. Get up there and preach thirty minutes and shut up and sit down. If not, I'm leaving." I mean, that, that was my dad's uh, advice when I, when I felt my call to preach. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. uh, but yet my wife has been, we've been together through the thick and the thin. We're a team. And of course now, you know, with my daughter and she's married and my son-in-law and my son who is getting ready to marry a pastor's daughter, you know, our team is expanding. You know, church is our family business. It's what we do. And we make that work. Well, you know, you can you can accomplish success on your own. However, so much more can be achieved when there's a team in place. So when you think of, of vital relationships as a team, then you celebrate your victories together. You cheerlead one another and you have an automatic accountability partner. Okay. Ephesians or Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine and 10 says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Mm. So again, Ecclesiastes is telling us that we've, we've got to have a partner. So to, in your original question, how do we create an emotional stable environment? How do we get these emotions in check and keep them in check? Well, it's, it's that team. Now here's the, here's the, uh, the not so positive side. When we have uncontrolled negative emotions, we always hurt the ones we shouldn't hurt at all. Those ones that love us the most, the ones that care about us the deepest, the ones that will be there through the thick and thin have been there through the thick and thin. Those are the ones that catch all of the garbage, all of the, the meanness of the beast that's within. Okay. Um, now, how, why? Why do we do that? I mean, you know, why don't we do that to a total stranger that we don't care about, may, may not even ever, ever, ever see again? Well, it's, it's a matter of familiarity. Hmm. You know, familiarity, they say, breeds contempt. We always hurt the ones we hurt, shouldn't hurt at all because we feel the most comfortable with them. We can lead, let, let the guard down and we know they're going to be there. Well, to be very honest, don't count on that. They may be there longer than anybody else because, you know, your friends, your coworkers, you know, too many outbursts of negative emotions, they're going to bail on you. They're going to put a distance between you or they're going to literally walk out of your life and never come back. Family members can do the same thing. It may take longer to get there because of the deep love and the commitment to you. But no human is going to sit around and take the abuse that we dish out in uncontrolled anger or negative emotions for a long, long period of time. Right. Uh, you know, my, my own family, and just to be safe, I'm not going to reveal who and all of that, but I had a family member that 
that was very angry. And when you look at their life, you would understand why. Lots of negative stuff, lots of hurt and disappointments and all of that. And of course, I, I happened to be a target of the uncontrolled negative emotions. So finally, I just got to the point. I told my mother, I'm done. I love everybody, but I will not be there for Thanksgiving dinner and I'm not coming for Christmas. I cannot handle the abuse by that negative emotion any longer. Of course, my mother freaked out. I said, mom, I'm not turning my back on the family. I'm creating a separation because I cannot and do not want to take that negative emotions any longer. And I didn't even do anything to deserve it. Now, the, the, the victory, the good thing, that has all been healed up. That person has got a hold of it. God has intervened. And, uh, you know, the situation has been made whole. Thank the Lord. And, and that's, what, that's where the prayer and the faith comes in. When we mix what we need to do to manage that emotion, to get that beast under control, when faith and works comes together, we have success. We have victory. Anybody can. Anybody, any one of your listeners that's listening to this podcast can experience what has already happened in my own family when you take the right steps. Mm. Okay. Right. Uh, you know, some of the, you know, in the book, I've got several verses of scripture coming from the book of Proverbs. And just to share a couple for your listening audience, uh, Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 26, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the weak, uh, wicked leads them astray. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffer harm. And uh, here's, here's another good one, Proverbs 22 and 24 and 25, uh, chapter 22, verses 24 and 25. Do not fake friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. So wow. Proverbs uh, gives us some warning there. All right, so... Um, Again, a little bit of, of why are our healthy relationships so meaningful? You know, we've talked about how we shouldn't, you know, we don't, we hurt the ones we shouldn't hurt at all. But let's, let's look at what is relationship value. You know, the concept mm. of relationship value. It's really defined as that any relationship that could create specific values for the two sides in a relationship as the process that both sides develop their trust and sought mutual beliefs. So that's why, that's why the pastor is always saying, come to church. You need to get to church. Why? Because he's creating an atmosphere and an environment that you can create relationships that are trusted and have mutual beliefs. Mm. So we draw from one another. We strengthen one another. Okay. Let's look at a little list, and I, I kind of like lists. Uh, ten things to hold more important in a relationship than love. You know, a lot of people think, oh, if we've got love, we can make it. Well, that's true. Love is a very powerful, powerful thing among us. But love does get wore out sometimes. And so when we build in ten things to hold more important than love, number one, trust. You know, if you don't have trust, you're done. 
you can love somebody. And I know too many married couples that can't live together, but they're in love with one another. And the reason they cannot be together is they don't trust one another. Adultery does that. When adultery is committed, there's love. It was just a, a stupid moment. It was just a weak moment that one of them got caught up in. They still love each other, but now they've got broken trust. Now the relationship is in jeopardy because trust has been broken. So trust is at the number one of the top 10. Okay. Second is honesty. Honesty is, is powerful. You know, brother Crooker, the, the number one reason that, that married couples get divorced is because of a lack of communication. And a very close second is lack of communication about finance. Yeah. When financial situations come up and they don't talk about it, the stress rises. Now, let me give this to your, your listeners a little side note. Anger is always a secondary emotion. There's always a primary. Uh, loneliness, depression, uh, anxiety, fear, the big kahuna, frustration or stress. Okay. Um, that when those things are not managed, it escalates and it escalates to anger. And when anger is not managed, it escalates to rage. And when rage is not managed, then it goes into something very ugly and it's called blind rage. I've had clients that I've worked with, one in particular, that uh, went into a blind rage of uncontrolled anger and literally did $5,000 damage, physical damage to his mother's kitchen, ripped cabinets off the walls, just five grand worth. And of course, police got involved, charges were done, whether mother wanted it or not. And uh, they were sent to me. And he absolutely, vehemently denied that he did it because he don't have any memory of it because he went into blind rage and just went out of control. So very few people get to that level. Anyway, honesty, going back to our top 10 list, honesty, honesty is a, is an absolute, you've got to be honest with one another. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever done any counseling. I do quite a bit of it. And one of the things, first things that I tell everyone and anyone that comes to me for counsel, I have to have brutal honesty. You have got to tell me the truth about everything, because if you lie to me, I'm going to take you down that path. I'm going to advise you and instruct you to go this direction. And I'm leading you the wrong direction because you tell me a lie. So to get healing, we have to be honest. You know, you don't go to the doctor with severe pain and say, Hey, my tooth hurts. When something is wrong with your gut, you tell that doctor exactly where, when, how often, how intense that pain is. So that doctor can diagnose, give you a proper diagnosis. All right. Number three, respect. Uh, again, we've got to have respect to one another. Respect is earned, not given. And so we do things to earn people's respect, even in, in friendship, coworkers, and especially that of our team, our vital relationships. Number four is communication. This, you know, really, I should probably readjust this list and put it right under uh, uh, trust and uh, between a trust and honesty, but communication is vital. We have to be open with our communication. We have to be honest with our communication. We have to be respectful with our communication. 
you know, in, in, in all of this, Brother Crooker, it, it's not what you say, it's how you say it that mm. makes all the difference in the world. Okay? Uh, you know, I can tell you something that may be uh, a negative situation in your life, but if I do it in a mean, uh, vicious way, or and an, uh, uh, accusations are filled, just peppered right in there, you're not going to receive it. You're going to feel threatened. So what I'm trying to give you to help you is going to fall straight to the ground and not, not accomplish anything because it's how I'm saying it. Truth is not hard when it's sent in love. So communication is vital, respectful communication. Number five, loyalty. Loyalty is something that, that we need to really pay attention to. And uh, I've always been uh, taught loyalty cannot be taught. Loyalty has to be a natural component. I don't know, and I'm being transparent with you. I'm not sure if I totally agree with that. Loyalty can be a natural attribute of somebody. They're just, they just grew up loyal. They, they understand what loyalty is, perhaps maybe because they've received loyalty. But I know some few people that, that were not loyal and, you know, the term backstabbers. But when they got their backstabbed, so many times they thought you know what this is not good and they they what this is all about is spirit-filled behavior modification and i believe in that i believe we can modify our behaviors again through the power of the holy ghost and working like what god expects us to do i mean the bible think about the bible what is the bible it's 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 a it's an instruction manual for life Everything we need to do and accomplish and succeed in instructions are in the word of God as, as well as negative emotions. Okay. So again, loyalty. And I, I really believe people can modify their behavior and become a loyal person because they've learned, learned it the hard way. Number six, happiness. Of course, you know, if you're being, uh, if you have trust and if you've got honesty and you're giving and receiving respect and you're communicating properly and you feel the loyalty of those that are close to you, happiness is going to come. Okay. Number seven, compromise. Compromise is something that's very important. Not compromise against our beliefs, our biblical beliefs. I'm not talking about that, you know, uh, my wife and I clearly understand each other um, that if if one of us walk away from God, walk away from the church, it will be, well, painful, won't even touch it. But we're going, the other is going to continue to live for God. We're not compromising our our beliefs and the, what the Bible says and our relationship with God for the relationship of another. Okay, that's not what compromise really is in this list. Compromise is on the less important things. You know, sometimes you just got to give in a little bit, you know, to make the relationship work. You know, um, uh, one may want to take the trash out on Tuesday, but but really the, the, the trash doesn't go until Wednesday. Well, take it out Tuesday night and keep a happy home. That's a simple, simple, but that's what I'm talking about. So on the less important things, instead of being hard-nosed about small things, give a little compromise and, okay, we'll, we'll do it your way. You know, it's no harm either way. Of course, number eight, we have to produce and have safety 
in, in our relationship uh, safety. And when somebody is in uncontrolled negative emotions, such as anger, safety is not a part of it. They don't feel safe. That day that I put my fist through that door and came in that room and finished that conversation that my wife and, ha wife and I had, I absolutely blew safety out of the universe for her. She no longer felt safe with me. And that's why the next morning at, at breakfast, she said, I don't know how I, I don't know, I don't know if I can do this. Mm. And the whole reason is she didn't say, I don't love you no more. Uh, I don't want to be around you anymore. What she was really saying is, I don't feel safe with you anymore because you scared me to my core. So safety is absolute. And of course, number nine, there is an element of uh, independence. You know, uh, my wife is my wife. We've been together 40 years. She's a, such a blessed woman for 40 years, you know, married to me. <laughs> <laughs> when I say that, she just rolls her eyes and keeps on walking. Anyway, uh, every relation, you, you have to have me time. You know, uh, my lot, my wife, she is, she is, she's, you know, I don't know what to, I, I don't see, I'm stumbling trying to describe my wife because she's so awesome. I can't imagine doing life without her. And my kids, my kids are really, really, really important to me. I love my children. Now they're adults. I'm, I'm struggling with a phase of parenting and that is parenting an adult child, you know, being that. That father that just sits there and drinks a cup of coffee and not say anything until, you know, they need something. I'm struggling with that because I love my kids so much. I want them to do well and I want them to succeed. And, I, you know, so I've had to learn to shut up. <laughs> so anyway, everybody has to have independence. I have to give my my daughter and her husband independence. I have to, you know, not check on them every day like I was when they were little and growing up in my house. And my son, even though he's 22 and he still lives in my house, but getting ready to get married, I even have to give him independence in his relationship for our, our relationship to work. And even my wife and, and I, we both understand we need some time away. I go to a coffee shop, buy some, hopefully if I can find some, a coffee shop, buy some water somewhere. Fake Maine would be my spot. Uh, I've been to Maine and preached in Maine. That, yeah, except for the winter months, I'm out. <laughs> anyway, I don't do snow. <laughs> and y'all got plenty of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, number 10, of course, is partnership. Partnerships. We got to be in partnerships. So that here is is this list that if we take it in our into our relationship and what we need to what it needs to look like, what the elements that we need to, to possess, we'll have a very powerful relationship. Now, allow me to remind you that when when I started my journey to manage my negative emotions, it was four decades ago. And so we learned all of this, Gail and I, to in, in trial and error. Okay. Um Here's and we're 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 on the home stretch of, of our time together, Brother Crook. If you got a question or something, just interrupt and, and pop it in. Well, uh before we go really any further, um so when we were talking about compromise, um yep. well, a, a, in in vital relationships, um so I I have this way of viewing um, uh, you know, compromise in relationships that you should always be willing to sort of raise it to the higher standard. So whoever has the higher standard, 
they should be willing to raise it to there. So, for instance, Good. if a friend of mine asked me to come preach and uh, uh, they, they, they believe in, in always wearing neckties, I'm always going to wear a necktie. Yeah, uh, right. when I'm at their in their church, right? Um, likewise, uh, you know, if if my wife um, doesn't believe in, uh, doesn't think that we should uh, allow our children to watch television or play video, you know, and and so in those relationships, we have to be willing, I believe, to sort of step outside of our carnality into sort of a spiritual realm where we can say what is most important, right? And obviously, you know, in relationships, you know, you've got to be able to have that give and take that you were talking about. And I, I, I feel like it's important um, that as Christians, as spirit-filled Christians, that, you know, we're willing to do that. Oh, I agree. And in fact, I like that statement that we should be willing to compromise to the higher standard. I like that. Because number one, to me, that produces growth, growth in our relationship, not only with each other, but in our relationship with God. Absolutely. And, and honestly, 40 years ago, I thought my life's fine. You know, hey, they shouldn't have said something so stupid. They deserved it. You know, that was my principle of living by, you know, get off a of dumb dude and, and, you know, get some brains. So... <laughs> Every once like, in a while, we all do stupid. Every once yeah, in a while. Yeah, yeah. just don't get stuck on stupid, you know? Right, right. <laughs> you know, but my wife is like, Ed, you can't do that. You you can't think like that, you know? Uh, how much dumb things you have you done? And I'm like, nothing, <laughs> you know? So what she was actually doing was pulling me to a higher standard of living. Mm-hmm. She was teaching me, okay, not only do you have to change, you got to compromise some things of how you used to do business, life. And so she, Brother Crocker, you, you hit the nail on the head that in the compromise area, we should always be willing to compromise to the higher standard because it's going to produce growth. That's what it did with me in our time of trial and error, working through all of this. Gail was pulling me to a higher standard of living. You know, getting getting my my emotions under control, and so that that's that's fine. Y'all write a book about that. That's good. <laughs> Maybe I will. <laughs> Lord willing. All right, let's keep going. Let's keep going. All right. So um, now here, this next area about relationships, and if it's, if it's okay, I, I I offer this in a free ebook, and I'd like to offer this to your to your listeners. If they go to DFW, uh, excuse me, TrueNorthDFW.org and just get involved in our True North community, uh, we give this as a free ebook. this next section called Nine Levels of Relationship. And the, and the ebook also goes into how to handle toxic people. And I, I don't know, well, we probably won't have time to get that far into it, but let's, let's, uh, let's get into, and again, going on that original thought you said in, in order here of how do we get emotionally stable uh, in dealing with negative emotions, we really need to scrutinize our surrounding relationships. Okay. Um, what chapter, chapter two, chapter two, I think, uh, we talk about cleaning up your environment, six most common triggers. 
and we need to look in cleaning up our environment. Well, same thing in our in the area of relationships. We need to look and scrutinize our surrounding relationships. And each of us is a product of our environment. You know, what you put yourself in is what you eventually become. What we are right now, you and I, what we are today, what has to do with everything to do with the environment that we were in five years ago, 10 years ago, a year ago, it has formed us and shaped us into what you and I are today. And the environment that we have ourselves in right now is, is redesigning us to what we're going to become. And again, that's that's why we're here today. That's why we're talking about control the beast. We want to produce a good, strong, positive environment that's filled with spirit and word to give us a better person in a year from now, in two years, five years or whatever. So relationships impact us. Healthy relationships foster positive emotions. We come home to a happy home. We feel good. Okay. And something else, and boy, I'm trying to hurry and get into this, but I'm just feeling like your audience needs to hear something. Yeah, uh, listen, we'll keep we'll keep going. Let's let's just obey the Lord. Let's go. One one thing that that we have to understand: you're in control. And I asked this in in a class: you're in control of everything that happens. And of course, I love it because no, I'm not. Well, you're in control of everything that happens around you. You're in control of your space, your environment. Now, you can't help the Igmo screaming, hollering, cussing. You know what an Igmo is, Brother Crooker? That's Never heard ignorant, of it. That's an ignorant moron, <laughs> Igmo. Okay? All right. You can't, you, can't, you can't control the Igmos in your life, but you can control how you respond to the Igmo. Life is 10% what happens to you, 90% how you react to life. Yeah. So, therefore, you're in control of your own environment. What are you allowing in there is the question. In your relationships, it's the same thing. There are several things that we can do to understand the different levels of involvement. And here's where a lot of people that I have found over the years get in trouble is they try to force a relationship into a category that it doesn't belong. Okay? So here it is. Nine levels of relationship. Level number one, our first level, is our relationship with God above and beyond anything else. I must be a good, strong, spiritual, powerful, anointed, word-filled Christian. My relationship with God is of an absolute. It's just, it is. Because without God, I'm nothing. You know, willpower, and I've been on enough diets to know willpower doesn't last. But God's power is forever. Amen. And so that's what we've got to understand and realize that this relationship, the number one level that we have got to pay attention and to uh, take care of is our relationship with God. We do not have the wisdom nor the ability to know halfway what is coming at us, but he does. And when we listen to him and have a good relationship with him, then we can prepare for the future a lot better. Okay, so we ought to have a stable relationship with God. We're always reading to gain knowledge, and that's good. I support that, but do you realize ageless wisdom is in the Bible? Okay, just a thought. Number two, level number two is our spouse. Of course, I've talked a lot about, because my, I, I forgive me for the personal reference, but 
you know, I know my family, I know myself better. And that's what really control the beast is all about is experiencing in our own family. And so, uh, again, what is love? Okay. Many times we think love, uh, when it's in reality, it's lust, man, she got curves and I ain't got no breaks, you know, whatever. So, uh, we, we've got, it's really a lust after somebody. It is a, it is a, uh, uh, a physical attraction versus what's inside. You know, love is based on our principles. Love, we love somebody for what they stand for, what they live about, what their life is about. You know, looks is is one thing, but personality, uh, the, the the knowledge, the wisdom that that person carries, that's everything. Yeah. You know, you can marry the most beautiful woman in the world, but if she's dumb as a brick, it's going to be a problem. Sorry. <laughs> Got a little plane there. That's anyway. all right. <laughs> so we have this loving relationship that we call spouse. We get married. We, we want to have a life together, and it's great. And this level of relationship produces the ability of accountability, okay? And I can go on a lot longer with accountability, but accountability is an absolute. My wife and I have been accountable to each other since the day we got married, we made a pledge that we're going to be accountable. We made another pledge. We're never going to bed mad at each other. We're going to resolve the issue before we get there. Now, when, when I had that fist through the door thing, that was like within the first month of our marriage. And that's where we made the commitment. Never go to bed mad at each other. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Mm. Okay. So one thing about accountability is, you know, especially in the, outside of pastoring the work that I do within this emotion stuff and, and the work that I've done with probation and parole, for example, uh, one probation office reached out to me and said, can you pr produce some content to help us with our sexual offenders coming out of prison? And I'm like, sure, be glad to help. So research began. And of course, brother, uh, Croc, Cro how do you pronounce your name? Crooker. <laughs> Crooker. I'm horrible with names and in the wrong business for that. Anyway, Crooker, uh, brother Crooker, um, you know, I, I, you can imagine the stuff that I bumped into studying and researching sexual offenses or rehabilitation of sexual offenders. So I bumped into websites that I shouldn't be. And so as accountability, I stopped right there. And I called my wife over. I said, I want you to see this. I'm studying this. This is what I bumped into. And then she would watch me delete it from the history. Why, why am I doing that? Because she gets on the computer behind me and sees something like that. Automatically, the human mind's going to assume, what's he up to? What's he doing? What's going on? And now we're off to an emotional landslide that we don't need to be when we can avoid it by being accountable. Make sense? Yes, sir. Yeah, so accountability is very important. Now, um, this this relationship also requires an ultimate level of trust. So married. Uh, level three is mentors. Uh, I, I hold very I hold a high value in mentors in my life. I'm my son's pastor, and I'm of course his father. But I told my son, uh, in fact, it's been about a year ago now. Go find a mentor outside of me. You need to hear somebody else's voice into your life, speaking into your life besides me. I'm your father and I'm your pastor. And trust me, that is a difficult task. 
being a dad and a pastor to to any child because they we both get confused am i talking to you as a dad or am i talking to you as a father i mean as a pastor and so we marcus and i have worked through that but anyway i felt it very important that he needs somebody else in his life to speak into his life if nothing else back up what his pastor father is telling him or give him a whole new perspective on something to help him reach to it and so it's it's vital uh i've had mentors in my life i trust these people this is a level of relationship that requires loyalty. Kenneth Haney uh, was one of my mentors. Jack Cunningham is another one of my mentors. Uh, and of course, my pastor, Guy Rome, uh, out of St. Louis, was a mentor. Any one of these men, uh, Brother Haney and Brother Rome, of course, have passed on. Uh, but they could have told me, Ed, I want you to go over in that corner, stand on your head for 30 minutes. I'd die trying getting this frame up there because... I know they have me at their heart and what they tell me is going to bless me. So again, mentors require an awesome amount of trust. And, uh, that's, if you don't have trust with that mentor, if they can't, if they don't have, if you don't give them the ability to say, you know what, you're acting really goofy right now, or that was really a stupid thing to do and take it and love them for it. Then you don't have a mentor you're not on the right level of relationship. You, you may, you know, some people ask them uh, to be a mentor because they're, you know, they're well known or they've got a name for themselves. Mentors are people that are full of wisdom. They're not in the limelight, perhaps. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. But the mentor that you're looking for is somebody that has the ability to speak into your life good things and you receive it and you'll be a better person for it. And some of the best mentors are the unknowns. They've lived it. They've walked through it. They've got the cuts, the scars and the bruises to prove it. And they can pass on that wisdom. All right. Level number four, best friends. You know, we have that best friend category. These are the people that I trust. These are the people that I'm very comfortable being around. I can, quote unquote, let my hair down and just be myself and joke around and not fear of being judged or misunderstood. These are the people that know me the best. Uh, I've got a best friend that I grew up with. Uh, his name is Bert, Bert McGavick. He was standing beside me when I met Gail for the very first time. Now, uh, long story, some other time. I was 15 when I met my wife. I've stood 6'2 since I've been 12. She had no, she's five years older than me. She has no idea how old I am that she's talking to a 15 year old when she thought she was talking to an 18 year old. And I just kind of, you know, let that roll. Uh, anyway, as I told you, I met her and I said, that's her. Bert standing right beside me said, I said, that's her, Bert. And he's like, that's who? I said, uh, that's the girl I'm going to marry. He's like, dude, you remember you're 15, right? I said, doesn't matter. I'm marrying her. <laughs> and so uh, anyway, see, he, he, did, he, didn't, he didn't ostracize me for a statement like that. You know, a 15-year-old saying, that's the girl I'm going to marry. And he was my best man in my wedding. And he lives in San Antonio. We were talking just the other day. There, that's a relationship that's been since we were little boys at each other's houses growing up at, at New Life in, in St. Louis. That's the best friend category. We're not judged. We're comfortable. Number five, good friends. Okay, These are people that I see from time to time, enjoy them. 
I, uh, I, I appreciate and love what they stand for, what they believe in. This group is not a best friend level, but are enjoyable nonetheless. And I've got lots of good friends. In fact, I had a pastor from Arizona call me Sunday night. Hey, man, haven't talked to you for a while. Good friend. Nothing, no, no, just how you been? I heard you had COVID. How you coming out? I'm coming out of it, man. And, you know, we just chatted and it, you hung up the phone and you just felt good that a good friend in Arizona was thinking about you and picked up the phone and called you. That's good friends. Okay. Now, number or level six is the acquaintance. Okay. I've met these people. Perhaps I appreciate these people. Seem like good people. They may, they may move up to a, a good friend category. They may move up even to one of my best friends. Okay. People often commute, uh, confuse this type of relationship with good friend or best friend category, and it doesn't fit. Be wise. Okay. You can, you can, and me, uh, most likely will get hurt when your trust is broken by an acquaintance that really don't have your best interest. They seem to be good people. They seem to have good standards, but you don't know them. You don't know what they're, you don't know deep into them. You haven't been around them. They're just acquaintances. Okay. Level seven on the job. Now, uh, don't confuse professional courtesy uh, on the job with true friendship. Okay. Working relationships contain people you may not like, you may not agree with. I mean, they may be like the devil in the flesh, but you have to work with them. You have to get along with them because if you don't, if you cross swords, if you take a stand, then you're going to jeopardize your standing at your job and maybe even lose that job or get in trouble, get suspended or whatever. So when you clock in, you're professional. How are you doing, sir? Hey, good to see you. Thank you. What about this report? Is that done yet? How can I help? Da, da, da. When you clock out, they stay right there. You don't go to dinner with them. You don't go to lunch with them. You don't go work out with them. They are an on-the-job relationship, and that's all there is to it. Level eight. I think you're going to enjoy this one. People I love enough to get to heaven. <laughs> so, you know, these these are the people who may be the oil in the water. You, you just, you just, uh-uh, uh, no. They're, they're seedy in their character. Uh, they're, they're not interested in, in change. Uh, they're braggadocious, you know, but, you know, life crosses paths with them sometimes. And, you know, we, here's what I do, and here's how I talk about kids. When you get to relationships like that, that you just, you got to be around this person for whatever, whether it's school, an activity, a work or whatever. Life, life makes you cross their path. You have to look at that person and see the good and forget about the negative and love them enough to get to heaven. <laughs> so uh, that's level eight. Level nine, and, and here's where we could go deep, but we are, we are two minutes from the top of the hour. Level nine, toxic relationships. Toxic relationships. Now, these toxic relationships have the har have harmful are harmful to our emotions. Uh, the toxic relationship can affect any of the other eight relationships. The only thing that can be done at least in, in the front part when something is toxic, toxic is a very powerful poison 
And when you get around it, you get sick. When you get around it, you're poisoned. You're jeopardizing your life. Uh, growing up, of course, in St. Louis, uh, and, and there was a small Missouri town where there was a factory that had a, a leak in underground uh, in, underneath the, the, the factory. And it was toxic poisons that it was seeping out of that leak. And they didn't even know it. They weren't doing anything on purpose or intentional, but they didn't know it. And it literally infiltrated the, the, the ground around it. And people were getting sick that lived near that factory. And so when they finally discovered what the deal was, they literally had to relocate the, the blocks around the factory. They had to tear the factory down, tear the houses down, and they had to come in and scrape the soil all the way down to where it was no longer poisonous. And they had to dispose it, seal it, and dispose of it. And then backfill with fresh soil, rebuild the factory, rebuild the houses, move the people back in, problem fixed. In, their, in a toxic relationship that's poisonous, sometimes the only thing you can do is contain it, seal it, and get rid of it. Okay? Now, can, can that relationship exist? Yes, because we believe in miracles. We believe that God can heal anything. But the problem is, the more you go near that toxic relationship, every time you go back and try to fix the toxic relationship, you're getting hurt, you're getting disappointed, your trust is getting broken again, there's no healing, in fact, more injury is inflicted. You've got to get away from that tech toxic relationship, that area right for right now, until they get rid of the toxins and replace it with fresh fresh uh ideas fresh beliefs that's going to be productive make sense yes sir all right so again um you know some of the major and, and again our pro, let me stress to your listeners as we close out the hour together here one of the things that we have to realize is sometimes unfortunately a spousal relationship falls into a toxic relationship it's got to get fixed Sometimes there's space need to be given and for it to be able to get healed up and then reunited. Uh, sometimes a best friend situation, that best friend breaks trust. And if it doesn't get fixed, it goes down to, I love them enough to get to heaven. Now, can they restore? Yes. But where is the problem in vital relationships? We keep getting confused. We try to take an acquaintance that we don't really know and make them a best friend. And they don't want to be a best friend or their their belief system doesn't match yours and it's not working. There's conflict. And so, again, let me close out with this of the indicators, the major indicators of of a of a situation in relationship. One is constant strive and division. If that relationship is always in strife, always in division, then we've got a problem. Amos chapter three and verse three, ask us uh, first, there's going to be there, there'll be con, uh, constant strife and division. But that verse of scripture says, can two walk together unless they agree? A relationship's got to have some common ground. And if you don't have common ground, you ain't got nothing to build on. So any healthy relationship is is one which you are united, perhaps, in goals, purposes, values, beliefs. James chapter 3 and verse 16 says, God's, uh, God, that, word, that verse says, where envy 
and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. So we've got to realize that. So anyway, uh, enough of that, man, we're out of time. I don't want to burn up everything, but uh, that's a little bit about vital relationships and hurting the ones we shouldn't hurt at all. That has been a, a, a tremendous lesson. Um, and, and I believe that uh, the, the hearers uh, will be impacted um, and even be looking at the way that they're handling their relationships and the way that they're looking at their relationships and, and sort of uh, figuring out in those levels um, where, you know, they need to place certain certain uh, relationships, whether they're family or whether they're friends, um, and understanding that, you know, toxic relationships um, have a very uh, impactful um, deal on, on our lives. So toxic relationships can tend to cause our other relationships that uh, impact us in a positive manner. Um, it, it, it affects that. Yeah, you're absolutely right, brother. Spot on. And, and you know, this to, to me and you, this seems so, are we recording or we're off? Yeah, we're still recording. <laughs> oh, we are? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. My bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Anyway, you're absolutely right. It is is relationships are so important, and and what we just got done talking about seems to be so simple, but yet it's complicated. Mm. Relationships can be very very complicated, but we've got to see the way clear and and hit the target. And and, and another thing uh, for your listeners' sake, relationships take work. You know, yeah, I you know. When I first laid eyes on on Gail Lynch, man, I fell in love. That's the girl I'm going to marry. But here we are 40 years later. It's a lot of work. Relationships take work. And you got to work at those relationships and and uh, do things and make adjustments and all of that. You know, I you, you're married. I think I heard you say a, a, yeah. a Croker family ministry. Okay. So you, you understand this, being married yourself. How long have you been married? Uh Almost two years. All right. Average, uh, psychology says an average of eight years before you get to know each other. So you got some you work got to do. <laughs> you got work to do. Yes, anyway, <laughs> but the, the saying is true. I love my wife gazillion times more today than I did the time I met her for the first time. And I thought, boy, I, I was, I had chill bumps, man. I mean, the hair on my head rose up. I was, you know. But it takes work and the love, the love has, you know, we have love starting out. It's like a surface love, but it has to deepen. It's like when somebody comes to God, you know, they come to God for a few reasons. One, their life is a train wreck and they realize I can't do this. I need God. <laughs> or they go to a prophecy, prophecy conference and get the hula scared out of them. And they, they don't want to be left behind. Yeah. So they come yeah. to God, you know, crisis or some kind of fear, or their kids are messing up, and they don't know what to do. That's okay. Any, anything we can do to get them in the door and get them to Jesus, okay? But here's the deal. Fear will wear off. Circumstances will eventually level off. At some point, they got to fall in love with Jesus for them to last. And couples 
you know, they, they have that, what used to, what I used to call her was a term when I was young puppy love, you know, they got that puppy love. They just starting out. They, they love each other and all the, whoo, you know, all that stuff. But when crisis hit, where's the puppy love? Somewhere along the line, love has got, has got to deepen in our relationships for us to last. Because love, even though we gave a list of top tens, love is powerful. Love is going, true love is going to get us through a lot of stuff. So, a little bit there. And that is, that's right on. That's right on, brother. Uh, well, we, uh, we certainly appreciate your time today. Thank you for uh, taking the time out of your schedule to hop on to Apostolic Theory. Uh, we really I appreciate it. Title, by the way. I love that title, by the way. When I first saw you on social media, I'm like, ooh, what's this? I like that. Apostolic Theory. That's cool. Good job. This podcast is made possible because of listeners like you who are willing to bridge the gap. We now have a sponsorship program on our Anchor website in which you can become a monthly sponsor of $1, $5, or $10 a month. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook.